The selected scripture reading this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. On the Bibles provided in the pew, that is on page 1056. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in your which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of the love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God. Good morning. Man, it is good to be together today. And uh, if you're our guest, we're so glad you're with us today. Uh, Wasn't it nice to get some rain this weekend? It kind of cooled things down. I did something yesterday that I haven't been able to do in several weeks, and maybe you can relate. I went for a walk. It actually felt like you could go outside and do that. It was the first time, too, that we'd taken our our new little baby outside, so that was kind of neat, and we took him outside for a walk, and Laura was all concerned that he'd get allergies and stuff, so give her a hard time when you see her about that. Well, I'm glad you're here today. Uh, If you you didn't get a worship outline, a worship handout, um, you might want to take just a minute to maybe track one of those down. Uh, This morning, in, in your outline or in your handout, you'll see a sermon outline that basically uh, is a guidepost or a guide map throughout the lesson this morning, and it'll kind of serve uh, to keep us on track and to make sure that when you leave here, you know what the lesson was about. You might not remember anything that I say, but maybe if you've got something in writing, you can at least show it to somebody when you leave and say, this is what that guy was talking about. When you hear the word legacy, what comes to mind? When you first hear that word legacy, what do you think about? I guess if I'm honest about it, it makes me think of a person who's really, really old and maybe on their deathbed. Or maybe it makes me think of of somebody who's who's died or is like on the verge of death. That's that's what I think about. That person is going to leave behind a legacy. And then that person will have a funeral, right? And at that funeral, there will be words shared about that legacy that that person has left behind. Maybe when you think about a legacy, you think about your grandparents. Those iconic family members who've lived these full, enriched lives. Maybe you think about them when you think about a legacy. But, but isn't a legacy much more than those things? Does it really mean, when we're talking about a legacy, that I have to be a granddad in my 90s? Do I have to be a granddad in my 90s to have a legacy? It's not just kids or grandkids, is it? Having a legacy is is having a reputation. A legacy is your name. It's the way that you'll be remembered. That's a legacy. So then the real question is, how do you want to be remembered? 
how do you want to be remembered? Gene Roddenberry created the Star Trek series. Anybody with me? Remember him? Gene Roddenberry created the Star Trek series, and um, when he died, he willed that his ashes be flown into outer space on a Spanish satellite and shot out as the satellite orbited the Earth. And so now there's some dead guy's remains out there floating in space. That's kind of weird, right? Harold West believed in vampires, and he left exact instructions concerning what to do with his body when he died, including, my doctor is to drive a steel stake through my heart to make sure that I am properly dead. Isn't that crazy? Harry Houdini, most of you guys know who that is, was considered the greatest magician and escape artist of his era, and possibly of all time. Uh, He died in 1926 from a ruptured appendix, and he left his magician's equipment to his brother Theodore, his former partner who operated under the, the name, he performed under the name Hardeen. He left rabbits that he pulled out of his hat to the children of his friends. Um, and then, this is kind of interesting, he left his wife a secret code, ten words that he chose at random that he would use to contact her from the afterlife. His wife held annual seances on Halloween for ten years after his death, but Houdini never appeared. This one might be the craziest one of all. This is the craziest way of all, I think, to be remembered. There's a man named S. Sanborn. He was an American hat maker. He died in 1871, and he left his body to science. His will stipulated that two drums were to be made out of his skin and given to a friend on the condition that every June 17th at dawn, he would pound out the tune Yankee Doodle at Bunker Hill to commemorate the anniversary of the famous Revolutionary War battle. That's crazy, right? That's crazy stuff, but how do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? Isn't it incredible that Jesus, the Son of God, left us a will because there were some things that He wanted us to know about Him. There were some things that God wanted us to know about Himself. And He left us a will, and if we'll follow that will, that will will lead us into an inheritance that He's also left behind for us in heaven. What about you, though? How do you want to be remembered? In other words, what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Very quickly, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We just had it read just a moment ago. But if you're not there, 2 Timothy chapter 1, you may or may not know much about what's going on here in the book of 2 Timothy, but just so we're all on the same page, the Apostle Paul is older now. He's an older man, and he's writing this letter to a younger preacher by the name of Timothy. Timothy uh, is very important to to Paul. In fact, in in verse 2, Paul calls him his beloved child. That doesn't mean that Paul is is Timothy's father. Paul's not saying he's his dad, but Paul is saying that he's like a son to him. He'd call him a child in the faith that Paul helped raise and train. And so here's Paul, this older man, and he's approaching the end of his life, and he's writing to this younger man that he cares very deeply about. So let's pick up in verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did. As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Paul begins this letter to Timothy by reminding him of the origin 
of that sincere faith that he's talking about. He's reminding Timothy of, of his strong roots. Paul reminds him of his legacy. He's saying, Timothy, you've got a legacy of faith and, and you've learned it from somewhere. Your, your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice both had a strong faith and they've passed the torch to you. And in the verses that follow, Paul admonishes Timothy to continue to grow in his faith. In verse 6 he says, Therefore, this is why he's saying these things, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Do you see what Paul is doing? Do you see what he's saying? It's, it's almost as if Timothy needed a little bit of a reminder, needed a little a gentle nudge or a push. And when you look at the verbs here, it's, it's, kinda, it's in the imperative mood. In other words, he's issuing commands. It's like he's giving Timothy a, a gentle push. He's encouraging him to carry on a legacy. He starts by reminding him of the legacy that, that's been passed down to him by his family. And then Paul turns the attention to Timothy and he says, Timothy, okay, you've been blessed with a, a legacy of faith. You've been raised right, but let me remind you of your legacy, Timothy. He tells him to fan into flame the miraculous gift that Paul had, had given to him when he laid, the, laid his hands on him. He reminds him that God hasn't given him a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And he tell him not to be ashamed of the Lord's testimony. And this morning I want to begin this message the same way. And just like Paul reminded Timothy, I want to remind all of you and I want us all to be reminded of the fact that we have a legacy at stake. Your legacy is important. And whether you're a first generation Christian or a 10th generation Christian, or maybe you're not even a Christian yet, your legacy is huge. We've all got a legacy. Okay, so we've all got a legacy. So, so what? What's the point? If everybody in here has got a legacy, what's the big deal? Does my legacy really even matter? And why? Here's why. It's because people are depending on our legacies. People are depending on your legacy. And so today I want us to notice four groups of people that are depending on your legacy of faith. The first group is this. First of all, this morning, your family depends on your legacy of faith. You can write that on your outline if you'd like to. Your family depends on your legacy of faith. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges, chapter 2. The book of Judges, chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse 7. Judges 2, verse 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at timnath Heres, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaash. And here it is in verse 10. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Wow. 
Wow, did you catch it? Because verse 10 really sets the stage for the entire book of Judges. And if you know much about the book of Judges, you know that in many ways it's a disaster story, right? It's a story that's kind of horrific. And verse 10 tells us why. There had arisen a generation that didn't know the Lord or the work that he'd done for Israel. Well, how could this happen? How could this happen? How could they drop the ball on this one? How could they not pass the torch? I mean, think of all the the things that the Lord had done for Israel. He literally created that nation. He took them out out of slavery in Egypt. He brought them up from literally nothing. And now finally, He'd given them the promised land. He'd fed them with manna from heaven. He'd driven out nations before them. He parted the waters of the Red Sea. He parted the waters of the Jordan River. He caused the walls of Jericho to come crashing down with nothing more than a marching band. Right? I mean, you talk about a legacy. Israel's legacy was the Lord. He had written their story. He was their God, and they were His people. And nobody knew who the Lord was. We just want to scream... How could this happen? How how could they not know the Lord? How could they not know the Lord? Yet here we are thousands of years later and we face the same problem. Parents, are you passing the torch? If I were to ask you, what do you want most of all for your kids? I have a feeling that probably the answer that would appear the most, that we'd hear the most, is we'd say we want them most of all to be faithful to the Lord and to spend spend eternity with Him in heaven. You can have the most faithful parents and the most faithful grandparents in the world, but how long does it take for a legacy of faith to suffer? One generation. How long does it take? You could come from a family of spiritual giants, but you think about this. It only takes one generation for Christianity to disappear from your family. Are you passing the torch? Do your children know the Lord or the the work that the Lord has done for them and for you? Do you ever talk to them about how they're doing spiritually? Do you you help them work through their, their questions about their faith? Do you pray together? Do they know just how important that this this church thing that you do twice a week, do they know really how important that that is? Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I want to pause here for just a minute and I want to show you a powerful video that a fellow minister in in the Churches of Christ uh, created. And I think it really drives home this point in a very powerful way. Uh, The video is called Redeem the Time. So, guys. I have 676 weekends left. I have 364 weekends left. 624. 276 weekends. 520 weekends. 468 weekends left.
You got it. You got it. I need your example. Your symbol. I need you to help me connect. I need you to help me connect with the life-changing, life-changing power of God's word on a regular basis. On a regular basis. On a regular basis. <laughs> Take me to Bible class. 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 Help me to know God by learning from teachers. Those who want me. Who love me. Help me to be transformed. Help me to be transformed by being with other kids. By being with other kids. By being with other kids. That are being transformed to redeem the time. Redeem the time. Redeem the time. Redeem the time. Redeem. 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 Redeem the time. Redeem time. Cash it in. Trade it. Make the most of it. Your family depends on your legacy. Number two, the future of the church depends on your legacy. The future of the church depends on your legacy. Joshua has to be one of my favorite Bible characters, especially in the Old Testament. Joshua has to be one of my favorite characters. What a legacy he had. He, he was a man's man, a mighty warrior, a strong leader, and a committed follower of God. And to be honest, I can't really think of a single time that we read about Joshua making a mistake. He just didn't make a lot of mistakes that we read about. However, if, if there is one criticism that we could make about Joshua, this might be it. He didn't pass the torch. He didn't pass the torch to the next generation. He didn't, he didn't pass the torch to the next leader. Elders, deacons, ministers, church members. If we don't invest time in the next generation, we are setting them up for a world of failure. Just look at the book of Judges. Remember the laws that God had put into place when he'd taken his people out of Israel or out of Egypt. Remember the Ten Commandments? They'd thrown them out the window. There was absolutely no moral compass. They didn't look to the Lord for right and wrong. In fact, the book of Judges tells us multiple times that in those days, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And over time, the, the nation of Israel had taken God's laws and they just kind of thrown them out and cast them aside. Just imagine what our nation would look like if we took all of our laws and threw them out the door. Can you imagine the chaos? Can you imagine the fear and the restlessness that we would feel? It would be miserable. And that's how it was for Israel in the book of Judges. And I've already said it once in this lesson, but it only takes one generation for a legacy to suffer. It applies to this point too. If we fail to pay it forward, if congregations fail to pay it forward and pass the torch to the next generation, the church, the modern day Israel, or the people of God, will suffer for it. That being said, the future of the church will depend on the legacy that us, the adults, leave behind. We've all got a part to play in this thing and making sure that we pass the torch to the next generation of leaders. Number three, your friends depend on your legacy. Your friends depend on your legacy. I guess I've talked for a few minutes to parents, but this one really is for everybody. You have people in your life that are depending on your legacy of faith. Yes, your children. Yes, the future of the church. But what about your friends? What about those people that you love so much that you've got close relationships with, that you love to hang out with? They need 
your example. We might as well face it. Most of us aren't going to lead people to Christ by the sermons that we preach. We're going to lead people to Christ by the sermons that we live. Kids in the youth group, you have a legacy right now. How do you want to be remembered? When I was a teenager, one of the things that got on my nerves the most, (laughs) I guess if I'm honest about it, one of the things that got on my nerves the most that my parents would do is when they would spring stuff on me last minute. Kids, do you hate that still today? I, I didn't like it when my parents would, would do this to me. Like, uh, like you're making all these plans for the weekend. Like I'm going to go to my friend's house. We're going to hang out. I'm going to spend the night at his house. Uh, we're going to go see this movie. Or you know, maybe I'm going to ask this girl out on this date. And um, You're making all these big plans. And, and then your dad pulls the old, Son, we're going to go see the grandparents this weekend down in Alabama. Nothing against my grandparents. But they lived six and eight hours away, so all of my plans went out the window. But imagine this one, and wouldn't this be like the ultimate nightmare? Imagine that your parents sprang this one on you today. Son or daughter, tomorrow we're moving. Tomorrow we're moving. How would that make you feel? Here's my question. A little crazy analogy, but stay with me. If you left school tomorrow and never came back, how would you be remembered? How would people talk about you after you left? Are you kind to people? Do you treat everybody like they matter? Are you someone who ignores people outside of your circle of friends? Are you somebody who makes fun of everybody and everything Do you cuss? Do you smoke? Do you drink? Do you party? Do you lie? Are you arrogant? Are you perverted? Would they call you a a jerk or a bully or a snob or a druggie? Would they know you as that girl who puts pictures of herself in her bikini on Facebook? Are you self-absorbed? Would they refer to you as that guy or that girl who did stuff that they shouldn't have with their boyfriend or girlfriend? Would they talk bad about this church because of you and your example? Would they call you a hypocrite? Or how would your teachers remember you? Would they remember you as the kid that treated them without any respect at all? How are you going to be remembered? What do people say about you even when you leave a room? I don't care what people say about me. Let them talk. They don't know me. They just judge me. They don't know the first thing about me. I don't care. Let them talk. Really? Because the Bible says you should care what others think about you. We're supposed to be the, the light of the world and the, the salt of the earth, Matthew five thirteen and 14. We're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. But is that what people see in you? Or do they see a Christian? Are you known as a Christian, not necessarily a, a person who's got all the answers or who's got it all together, but someone who's trying every day to live like Christ? That's what I want my legacy to be like. I want to have a legacy that would lead my friends to Christ. I know they are depending on me and they are depending on you to do that. I know you guys started back to school and I know you're really excited about that. But let me challenge you on something this school year. What if you started treating your school like a mission field? 
What if every day you, you walked through the doors of your school and you started thinking about it as a mission field? I know we usually think about mission trips as something happening in the summertime or on spring break where we leave for a week and we go somewhere else and then we come back home. But what if you started treating your school like a mission field? What if you stopped labeling people and started looking at souls? Did you know that you can lead people to Christ. It's amazing to think that there could be people in heaven at your school. There could be people in heaven one day because you took the time to invite them to church or to share your faith with them or to study the Bible with them or to say a prayer for them or to take the time to listen to what they were going through in a tough time in their life. You can win souls for God as a teenager. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God can do that through you? The Bible says it, it, it doesn't need to be the preacher or the teacher or an elder. In fact, it says the exact opposite. The Bible says that we will all have this responsibility to go out and make disciples. Your friends are depending on your legacy. And number four, finally, the fate of the lost depends on your legacy. The fate of the lost depends on your legacy. I can't, I can't put into words how much that what I'm about to share with you weighs on my heart. I can't put into words how much, how heavy that this is on my heart. And, and it's something that kind of comes to my mind often. We don't say it bluntly. But people are going to hell. People that you know and people that I know, people that we love, People that are lost. And the only message that can save them is the message that's been given to us. Does that sink in with you? Wow. Do you, do you, does that haunt you a little bit? Does it overwhelm you to, to think about souls that way? Whenever I see people at the supermarket or, or driving their car down the road or whenever I see people at a restaurant or when I'm watching TV and I see stands... Uh, field for a football game or, or I'm at a concert and there's tons of people there, I have this haunting feeling in my heart that I don't like to acknowledge that's there because I think about the fact that all of these people need Jesus. How can we reach this world? How do we do it? We do it one person at a time. And we do it by the way that we live. Eternities are at stake. Eternal destinies hang in the balance. And the fate of the world depends on the legacy that we leave here for people to follow. Our time is going away quickly, but a few things very quickly before we can conclude. The first one I stole from Matt Collins. I want everybody to write down the name of one person that you want to lead to Christ this school year. Write down the name of one person that you want to lead to Christ this school year. Maybe you'll tear that slip of paper off from your outline. Tear it, put it in your wallet, take it home with you, and tonight pray about that person. Make that person your mission. Pray about that person. Maybe even share their name with someone that you trust and someone that that you, that you trust with that responsibility and have them pray about that person with you. And the final thing that I want to share with you is 
a story about a legacy. I had a great, great grandmother uh, that I obviously never got to meet. (laughs) But they called her Big Mama, which I think is really funny. (laughs) They called her Big Mama. Um, Her nickname was a joke. She stood about four feet tall. And it's kind of like, I guess, when you get a huge, ugly, you know, mean, vicious dog and you name it Fluffy or something like that. Her nickname was a joke. They called her Big Mama, but she was, you know, this tall. She married a man who was not a Christian. And as time wore on, her husband developed more and more of a hatred for her faith. But every Sunday morning, she was going to go to church. He began making it harder and harder for her to be able to go. One day he did something to her car and he made it where it wouldn't start. So she walked. And it didn't matter what he did, she was going. And this continued day after day and week after week. And one particular Sunday morning, he said to her, if you go to church today, I'm going to beat the children. And she said, as I walked to church that day, I could hear the cries as he beat them. She kept going to church. Finally, one Sunday morning, not unlike any other, she got up early. She started getting dressed. But she noticed as she was getting ready that he was getting ready too. She didn't say anything. She didn't acknowledge it. She said she could hear his footsteps behind her as she walked to church that day. She entered the church building. The preacher preached. She worshipped. She took the Lord's Supper. The preacher offered the invitation. And that morning, my great-great-granddad, who'd been standing outside of the building... The entire time, walked through the door, walked down the aisle, and became a Christian. It's an amazing legacy. I am who I am today, in part, because of a woman that I never met, who led a man to the Lord that I never met, but I know her grandsons. One of them would be my granddad, Jerry Jenkins, and the other would be my great-uncle, Dan Jenkins. And both of them went on to become great preachers of the gospel. My granddad would raise up a son named Dale who would become a preacher. That's my dad. And my dad raised me up. And now I'm a preacher of God's Word. And my wife and I have just had a son. It's time for me to pass the torch and carry on a legacy. So what did we learn this morning? I call these life lessons. Why does this really matter to your life? Number one, everybody has a legacy, but not everybody will leave behind a good one. That's true, right? Everybody has a legacy, but not everybody will leave behind a good one. Number two, we talked about parents. It's our responsibility to pass the torch. Number three, teens and everybody, really, it's your responsibility to carry the torch. Don't drop it. Remember, it only takes one generation for a legacy to suffer. And finally, your legacy ought to lead people to Christ. I hope this morning you've been given a lot of challenging things to think about when it's come to your legacy. I know that I have. I hope that this morning you, you've been able to look at your legacy and do some thinking about it. When you look at your legacy, do you like what you see? 
Are you proud of the way that you're living right now or or are you ready to rewrite your legacy? Have you neglected the fact that people are depending on your legacy? Whether it's a friend or a family member or, or that person at work or at school who isn't a Christian, we all have a responsibility to share the gospel. Remember, souls are at stake. Do you need to become a Christian this morning and change the destiny of your soul? This is not a, a fun verse to read, but let me share with you 2 Thessalonians, verses, or 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 8 and 9. It says that vengeance will be taken on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with an everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. I can't sugarcoat that, no matter how hard I try. If you want to make your legacy right with God, we want to give you that opportunity. Please come as we stand and sing together. Restore my spirit, Lord, I need restore.